0: So welcome back to the chronic kidney disease podcast. This is uh, part two, so just picking up uh, where we left off before we were speaking a little bit about epidemiology uh, and causes of CKD. Uh, another thing that's important to um, mention, which doesn't just apply to chronic kidney disease, but applies to um, lots of conditions really is, um, when considering what the common causes are, you do need to consider um, the, uh, geographic um, and demographic variables associated with um, specific causes so uh, if for instance in the western world diabetes and hypertension are, are leading causes of ckd um and there are uh, less um, cases related to certain infections like TB and hiv if you go to areas where TB and hiv are more common then um a greater proportion of your uh, CKD cases would be caused by those things. Um, Another example is IGA nephropathy, which is uh, more common in. um, Japan uh, and that area of the world. Um, So we mentioned before that sort of roughly 8% of the population uh, in the Western world have um, CKD and, and, you know, maybe a higher because um, the way in which ckd is often clinically silent and detected late um, the majority of people who've got ckd have got sort of stages uh, one two and three so g1 g2 and g3 so sort of the less severe end of the spectrum uh, and then uh, according to uh, the figure which you'll be able to see uh, if you can see the slides um, sort of about 0.2 of the population have got stage four and 0.2% have got stage five. And the uh, the further you progress along your CKD journey, the more likely you are to progress further. So you sort of get this kind of snowballing effect where uh, the worse it gets, the higher the chances are of it getting worse. Um, worldwide prevalence of uh, patients receiving um, Renal replacement therapy varies quite a lot. Um, I think from this uh, this shaded map, um, you're going to see if you can see the podcast, uh, you'll see that um, you know, rates are, uh, are higher in uh, in terms of patients per million population receiving renal replacement therapy. The, the rates are kind of higher in um, uh, North America. Uh, and uh, Europe compared to um, Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, part of that may be due to access um, to mineral replacement therapy. Um, you don't need to remember the specifics of this, but just you know be aware that things uh, do vary by geographical region, as we just spoke about. Uh, and then in terms of your the probability of developing complications with CKD well that basically goes up with, with increased severity of CKD so as the GFR drops and as you lose the functions of the kidney you're more likely to see some of the complications um, and this is illustrated quite nicely um, in the um, graph which is um, on the slides those you can see it so Um, For those who can't see it, the abnormalities that they're talking about are anemia, acidosis, hyperphosphatemia, hypocalcemia, hyperparathyroidism, and hyperkalemia. Uh, And you'll see that the rates of those really start to uh, go up quite steeply, uh, particularly once you get to uh, EGFR of sort of around about 45. Um, And so, yeah, the further along your... to kidney journey you, you get the uh, uh, the less kidney function you have uh, and therefore these complications occur as a result of um, a lack of, um, of normal functioning of the kidney essentially. Um, and there is something called the kidney failure risk equation which you may or may not have heard of uh, which is a useful prediction tool that people uh, used to stratify um, the risk at two years and five years of uh, reaching um, end-stage renal failure, so reaching the point where you need dialysis or transplant. And it's quite a simple model actually, there's not a lot of information that um, needs to go into this to calculate this and yeah, I think if you just search for online kidney failure risk equation you'll be able to find it and you'll be able to um, play with uh, the tool and see how your risk changes when you change the variables. But essentially, the four variables you need to input are uh, urine, um, albumin to creatinine ratio, sex, age and GFR. So what does this really tell you? I suppose it tells you that um, that proteinuria is a very important predictor um, of disease progression. And that's probably no surprise based on um, on on what we've uh, discussed already. So, um, just for the purposes of illustration, um, and for those who can't see, I've, I've input some uh, values for a 50 year old male with an EGFR of 45 ml mm per minute, uh, 1.73 meters squared, uh, with a urine albumin to creatinine kind of ratio of 10 milligrams per millimol. So, this would be within the um, micro albuminuric range. So, um, so, this is an A. Two, because it's it's between uh, three and thirty milligrams per millimole. Okay, so but it's not a lot of protein. It would be what we call microalbuminuria. Um, so this patient would have a two-year risk of 0.81% of needing dialysis, and at five years, 3.11%. So 0.81 and 3.11. So so not that much. And now just for the sake for sake of illustrating. Um, on the next slide, I've also put a 50-year-old male with an age of 45, um, but I've now um, I've given him a an, an, uh, urine album to creatinine ratio of 300 milligrams per milliliter, so that's quite a significant amount of proteinuria, um, and his risk at two years is um, 3.71%, so up from about 0.8, and is. Uh, risk at five years is 13.63%. So you can see just how increasing that proteinuria really can make quite a difference. Um, and I think at lower GFRs, I expect that if you plated this, the uh, risk of progression would be greater because that's um, uh, in line with what we know from the sort of prognostic um, uh, s- prognostic um, table that uh, k made. Which illustrates this. So, um, I mean, it's worth knowing about this risk equation because it's something you talk about in an interview if you um, if you're given a CKD station, and it's a useful resource. It's free, uh, and it creates um, graphical uh, answers that are quite useful to show to patients. So, it's quite a patient-friendly resource. So investigation of ckd um, there are lots of investigations you can do and i don't want to complicate this too much but there are a few sort of things that is worth thinking about so um, you know first of all in line with the kdigo guidance aim to establish causality so you know what is the cause of the ckd Um, sometimes this will be very obvious sometimes it will not be obvious at all and sometimes we never find out so there are a portion portion of patients who um, present feeling unwell, having never really engaged or needed to engage with healthcare, healthcare services. Uh, and then they have a blood test and you'll see that the creatinine is 800 and they've got small uh, shrunken kidneys. Um, and at that point, the yield from biopsying is, is not likely to be high because you're just likely to pick up scar tissue. So you'd be subjecting someone to To risk without real benefit, Um, but if you can establish the cause, that can be useful. So, if you catch it kind of early enough, or or if there are um, features that make you particularly suspicious of a treatable cause, um, uh, then it would be it would be worth considering whether you do a biopsy. So the other question is, you know, is it is it really chronic kidney disease? So often we don't know. Uh, Patients present. Having not had blood tests, the blood tests are very deranged, and we don't know how uh, how much of it is acute or how much of it is acute-on-chronic. Um, so that can be quite challenging sometimes, and there are some clues which we'll discuss shortly. Um, and the flip side of that is yes, yeah, so it could be acute, it could be acute-on-chronic, or, uh, or it could. Um, yeah, it could be acute kidney injury, could be acute kidney injury on chronic kidney disease, or it could just be um, chronic kidney disease. So there are a number of possibilities, and it's not always as easy as one would as one would hope to delineate that. Um, so very important in this situation to try and get a baseline renal function. So this may involve um, speaking to um, the patient's primary care doctor or, or checking their sort of. Um, NHS records, or if they've had medical care in other countries or hospitals, it would be worth checking results so that you can compare. Um, And if you, you know, sometimes there'll be periods where the patient has had a normal blood test a few years ago, nothing in between, and then an abnormal test, so very high-cran, and those it's often quite difficult to tell. Um, So things that you should consider when investigating kidney. So, with diabetes and hypertension being the most common causes uh, in this country, the first question you have to ask is, does the patient have diabetes and or hypertension? Because they may well be um, causal or at least contributing. Uh, urinary tract imaging is quite useful in this situation. So, you can look at the kidney size. So, roughly, um, a size of roughly 9 to 12 centimetres in length is um, is a normal size for a kidney so uh, this will vary slightly and there are conditions that give you uh, enlarged kidneys so infiltrative processes things like um, amyloidosis or sarcoidosis perhaps you might have large kidneys um, and also in diabetes you sometimes have large kidneys and um, sometimes people are just large or just small so it's a bit you know it's not absolute but you know if you see someone with shrunken kidneys that appear atrophic and sort of, you know, seven centimeters um, with a a lack of corticomedullary differentiation, um, then that would fit with more of a chronic process. Uh, And it would add another um, tick to the the column of evidence supporting um, chronic kidney disease versus acute. Uh, And then obviously, you'd also want to look for Uh, any other gross abnormalities so presence of cysts presence of obstruction so sometimes you can get um, cysts in chronic kidney disease and these tend to increase over time Um, and yeah you want to check there's no other obvious causes so um, uh, hydronephrosis or or stones although ultrasound is not the best way to see all types of stones Um, then when you're thinking about the cause of CKD, think about um, any particular symptoms. So important to ask about urinary symptoms, hematuria, features of systemic disease that might make you think uh, more of a uh, underlying vasculitis or connective tissue disease. So things like fevers, rash, weight loss, hemoptysis, um, joint pains, um, general systemic upset, upset, lack of appetite. Um, these things are often quite non specific, um, but it's worth asking about because occasionally you'll we'll get some clues. And sometimes patients might have symptoms of uh, so urinary symptoms, so uh, incomplete emptying, dribbling, or poor um, urinary flow, and these might point you towards um, an um, obstructive cause. And also worth asking about previous UTIs or pyelonephritis because repeated bouts of. Uh, infection and one of the factors can uh, lead to real scarring and um, chronic kidney disease. So, drugs, asking about drugs is very important. So, never forget this in your interview and don't just ask for what they're prescribed, just check their compliance as well, check they're taking it correctly. Um, include Chinese and herbal medicines, over the counter medicines, NSAIDs, and particularly ask about any new medications. Um, often, with a bit of detective, a bit of detective work, you can try and work out the time frame um, when renal impairment started, when it's caused by medication, and, and you might be able to demonstrate that quite nicely sometimes um, if you know when the medication started. So, um, yeah, check about any new medications or changes in dose as well. Then you've got to consider: is a biopsy necessary, um, which it, it may or may not be. Um, I think those who've got rapid progression of CKD, particularly when it's unexplained or if they've got concurrent hematuria and proteinuria or nephrotic syndrome, then would be quite keen to biopsy. Um, and when you might consider not biopsying, some of the nephrotic syndrome would be where you can be very confident that it's explained by diabetes mellitus. So you want to ask about the presence of other uh, microvascular complications. Uh, which would corroborate this so um, there's a tighter correlation between microvascular complications uh, and nephropathy in type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes but um, there is a correlation in both so um, if you've got someone whose diabetes has always been very well controlled and their feet are fine and their eyes are fine with no and of retinopathy um, and they suddenly become nephrotic, and that's a bit more suspicious than someone who's got rip-roaring uh, peripheral neuropathy uh, and very severe um, retinopathy um, that's required intervention. So it's, it's just one of these questions that's a good question a, candidate will, uh, a good candidate will ask in interviews, have you know, they got other, other microvascular complications? Um, And again in children or young adults with nephrotic syndrome um, the probability of having minimal change disease is greater and minimal change disease uh, is um, as I'm sure you know usually quite exquisitely steroid sensitive. So people often have a course of steroids to see how they respond and if they respond then they can sometimes avoid a kidney biopsy. because kidney biopsies are not without risk. So if there were um, sort of more atypical features so any abnormal immunology results, or if there is hematuria as well, or systemic symptoms, um, uh, or or severe hypertension or something that wasn't quite fitting with the classic minimal change, then that would increase your, uh, your willingness to do a biopsy because you might think that you're potentially missing something so we spoke a bit earlier about the classification of CKD based.